Talking Kong, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, incidental episode. Paul Jenkins. This is an incidental episode. This is one of our drop-in episodes, which allow us to uh, talk to one or two people outside of the normal podcast schedule, and also allows us to have some very special guests on, which can't join us on a Wednesday or a Sunday. I do not have a cup of tea. I do have a two-pint cup of water, although I would love this to be beer. Because it's that kind of vibe right now where we desperately need a storm here in the UK. It's very hot, it's very humid, it's absolutely cooking. But, um, welcome along, Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. And just as I am about to get started, we have a gentleman that's joined us. Um, and seeing me sweating at him, which is really, really unfortunate. But uh, I, I apologise in advance, Paul. How are you doing, sir? Okay. Sound. <laughs> We can hear you. You're all good. Okay, good. That's good to hear. I just wanted to make sure because I, I wasn't sure I'd reset my sound. How you doing? <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you've been you have been a busy boy when it comes to the podcast lately, um, uh, because I've been I've been seeing you. Uh, I mean, I, I was about to say as as part of my introduction because uh, uh, one of my favourite podcasts and especially comic podcasts out there is John Citrus yeah. and uh, the Word Balloon. And um, while I'm not at his level at the moment of how much content he's currently putting out at some strange and random times of the day, um, yeah, it's been fun to see his uh, uh, podcast and I, it, to see your episode as well. Uh, it was uh, very cool, very enlightening, uh, some uh, very interesting stories in there, uh, some emotional moments, uh, <laughs> as, as always with conversations with you, uh, which yeah. is good. Yeah, uh, no, but... Yeah. John's a very, very smart guy. He's Isn't very, he just? His, his questions are really intelligent. And so I love chatting with him because he puts us in an environment uh, where you end up talking about really interesting things because of the way he asks questions. He's good at it. Yeah, the, no pressure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I will do, uh, I'll do what I can. Although, to be fair, I mean, the, I mean, the chat that we're going to have today um, is going to be very specific. It's going to be very much macro on uh, a certain specific element of uh, what you're up to, because uh, we are talking about your uh, Kickstarter campaign, uh, which is Fairy Quest 3, uh, which I'm going to bring up some bits and pieces. I'm sure you've got some uh, media to, to hand as well, perhaps on a, a, a window somewhere. Um, but first things first, um, hello there everybody, welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name is Len Sultana and each and every show we talk to some interesting people about Comic Cons, con culture and all the stuff and nonsense that we get to enjoy at such shows. Um, as always, uh, the chats are open on all the uh, social medias, so if you're watching on Periscope, if you're watching on Twitch, on Facebook or on YouTube, do jump in with your comments, let us know where you're watching from, let us know what you're up to uh, this Friday, uh, Into the Blueness is saying hello, up to my eyeballs in Lego today, which is not the worst way, I mean, to spend a day, I mean, I wish I could afford more Lego, but that's that's just me, uh, Michael P as well saying good morning, and Solicitor of Smeg is here, what's up everybody, uh, it's great to have you along, welcome uh, to you, um, so yes, um, first things first, I mean, how's things been 
since we spoke to you last, because uh, when we had you on the show, um, you didn't necessarily mention uh, the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, and I think it just kind of, you kicked it up a notch shortly yeah. after you, you spoke to us. So uh, uh, how's, how's things been since we spoke to you last? Uh, so in terms of the Kickstarter campaign, um, you know, we, we started it, um, I think, um, seven days ago, or, well, maybe eight days ago on a Thursday. Um, we hit a quarter of our thing on the first day, which was great. We are now at uh, 25 out of 40,000. Um, we just announced a few things. You know, like Kickstarter campaigns are a really interesting way of publishing, right? Because ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people continue to be interested um, but what happens with Kickstarter campaigns is you can do an update w that you think is a really good one and it can have an opposite effect. It can upset people. You have no idea, you know, it's very interesting way of doing things and it's a very pure form of publishing. Um, so, uh, I think we did an update, um, I want to say three or four days ago and it was to show a bunch of new art an incredible new cover. Ali Garza's cover was painted. We had all these incredible things and we had like three people drop their pledges. What? Immediately. And I thought, wow, that came on the back of showing this really, really great art. But I remember from the very first That's campaign that I did that I did a deluxe edition simply because a fan asked me, would you do a deluxe edition? And I put it up limited to 150 and the moment I put it up, it just went crazy. And we made sort of five thousand dollars into the into the project just by putting it up. And I, I didn't even understand why. I barely described the thing. Um, I know what to do now, but at the time, I didn't even know what a deluxe edition was. And so I had to kind of <laughs> make it up as I went along. So it's really cool. Um, I love doing it, but it is fraught with peril, right? Like I'm sure you get other people telling you this that it is yeah. complicated. Um, but it's it's fun. Um, I have a history with it that has been at times amazing and at times really challenging. Certainly, um, the history of the first two Fairy Quest books are like to some extent broke my heart as a as a creator, um, which I think would be an interesting part of our conversation to tell you some of the ways in which this has been so challenging. You know, I'll always be honest about it, Leonard. You know that. Sure. I mean, the one thing um, that I find interesting about um, Kickstarters and the ones that I've seen over the course of the last three, four months, um, because, because people are trying to get as many eyeballs as they can on their uh, campaign, um, something that kind of gets left behind uh, when it comes to actually uh, marketing the campaign and talking about it is the story itself. Yeah. Um, so you get a lot of uh, like the first four or five paragraphs is about the stretch goals, about the, the talent involved, about um, how we go deliver this book to you, how we're going to get this project in into your hands. Instead of actually talking about the story itself and the actual the meat and bones of the story that you're going to get. So if we if we talk elevator pitch, let's let's go that let's start go with that then. Um, tell us about Fairy Quest Three. Um, so Fairy Quest 3, uh, in fact, uh, I'll, I'll, I won't disagree with you. You're right that people do that, by the way. But in fact, uh, the very first thing pretty much on our page is the story. Um, Absolutely. The story of Fairy Quest. The only difference is that as um, I thought it would be really nice to do a rolling update first. So in, in, uh, the first thing you see on our page is these are the new things we've added or here's the thing that's going on right now. And we just do a rolling update to show people the progress is the sure. first thing that they hit on the page. Um, but then the next thing is um, the story, right? 
And so the story of Fairy Quest, um, I'll give you sort of a macro and a micro view. What it is, is um, it's a world called Fablewood, where all of the stories that have ever been told live in this giant forest, right? And I love to see it in pounds, by the way. It's wonderful. <laughs> I miss I miss the homeland, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so here it is. You know, we it's basically there's this world uh, where the, all the stories live, and there all the stories are divided by genre borders. So you might have like science fiction and fantasy horror realms, and they, they've got these genre borders that divide them. Um, and then and then in the very center is where the children's stories live, because there's so many children's stories. And on the outskirts is where all the stories that have yet to be told live because they're the undiscovered country. So all the parts of the forest that you've never been to. And in the center, uh, Red Riding Hood and the Wolf live with the children's stories. And it's a real fascist environment. In fact, if you go back up again a second, sure. um, the image that you see right there is the dreaded mind eraser. And they're run by the Think Police. So it's very much like 1984, basically. Um, wow. And if they don't keep their story straight, if the children's stories deviate, then they have their minds wiped and they're reset like Stepford Wives and they just basically come out and they just parrot their story, right? And so, unfortunately, Red Riding Hood and the Wolf, who are the most important story in the realm, uh, they have become best friends. They love each other very much. And so they hear of a place called the real world and they decide to... Um, to, to escape together to freedom along the yellow brick road. And what happens is in the first two issues, you see them begin, as they begin to escape, they're chased by the think police. You know, they've got to be brought back to tell the story properly. And there is a mum, and she's reading to her little boy and she begins to forget the story of Red Riding Hood and the Wolf. So the further they get from their story, the more they are forgotten. Um, and the story itself then for you and I would be a story of like necessary friendship in the face of fascism and how does it work and how do we stay together against fascism for a little five-year-old kid they're like red riding her the wolf for best buddies you know and and so it's a different and, and what's so crazy about that book is that of all the books in my career it is the one that seems the most straightforward and honest uh, which is great because it's my book and I publish it on Kickstarter right so yeah. Every single time, and I mean every single time, I'm probably 99% of this, that I can give someone that book at a convention and they will come back and say, uh, they'll, they'll buy it every time when they see it and they will come back and they will say, I want the next chapter. And we waited, I, I you know, Umberto got busy, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I understood that, but at a certain point I wanted to get back to my work and the next chapter of the book. So let me quickly go to that because I'm, rambling at this point um, <laughs> they go off on this adventure as you see and um and as you can see the artwork is like ridiculously beautiful. it's stunning yeah. absolutely stunning and they get to this juncture so right that image that you've got right there they run into a guy called so the guy chasing them is grim and this guy is anderson so it's, you know obviously hans christian anderson and, and yeah brothers grim and he is all about their freedom and he shows them a map that will allow them to get away they go away, you know, they start trying to check, they're, they're worried because they see Storyland kind of decaying. And at the point of the story that we are at, at the end of the book, um, they have found, you know, they have to go into the, they begin this big journey, as you see, and they, they, they go through the dark forest, they get out the other side, they get chased. And at the point they're at right now, um, they go down in, in our next issue, they go down into Wonderland and they see it's completely decayed. The whole thing has gone to pot. 
Um, this is a group of subversive stories that don't want to tell their story anymore. So they're like a support group that meet each other every week. Um, so they go into Wonderland and the book is called Over, Under and Through. They go over the land, they go under into Wonderland. And once they get to the other side, they realize two things. They are changing physically. Um, so there's Umberto's new cover. Uh, it's for, just good. <laughs> Look yeah, at that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and so they physically change. That's one thing that's happening. So they're physically changing. And um, we have Mike Bowden coming in to do the interior art. And he covers like the time where they begin to physically change. If you can look on my Kickstarter page, you'll see a few updates. Uh, if you actually keep going down a little bit, yeah, sure. um, we, may have, we may have put some updates on, but, but here is the mother reading to the little boy. And at this juncture of the story, he's like, I just want Red Riding Hill the Wolf. And she's like, there's no such story. Shut up, you little brat. Like she's getting really annoyed wow. because she she's confused. It's like messing with her. Um, and then if you go down just a little bit more, you can see that here's a new page of, of just before they go into Wonderland. But what will happen is Mike's art will cover the bit where they, they arrive in Wonderland. They go through the looking glass and they realize on the other side of the looking glass, they're becoming real. And so now he takes them through and they come to their first genre border. I'm not going to give too much of the story away, but, sure. but they come to their first genre border and they have to cross it and they find themselves in a world of horror stories. And they realize, oh my, this is completely crazy. And look at the Tin Man, by the way. Isn't he great? Yes, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, he's excellent. And Mike's brilliant and he's amazing. And um, so, uh, and, then, and then one last thing I suppose I'll say about that is we'll go below in a second. I'll show you more of that. Um, sure. So they get to horror stories and they realize people are just doing their job. Like the people in horror stories are just doing their job. There's Billy. Oi, Billy. Billy Tucci has been really helpful to helping us spread the word about this. Um, so thanks, Bill. As always, he knows that. And Billy is doing a cover for us, which is amazing. Um, and he's done a an image for us that we've already seen. It's got like a, the, a rough image and it's of Tinkerbell and she's really sexy. So... You knew Bill would do that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you go below um, quickly, sure. just below there, the next thing that you can see even is um, you'll see that we have a list of a bunch of covers, right? So um, we have uh, a Mike Bowden cover. We have three pages that are up right now. We've got um, Ali Garza's cover right in the center right there. But we also have a cover by Billy. We have a new one that we announced uh, by uh, Jill Thompson. Um, nice. We have a Kevin Eastman cover coming. Um, as you know, Kevin and I have been very, very close friends for a long time. Um, and, and so, you know, the art is developing and we're releasing new art as we go. But everybody just adores this book. And the crazy thing about this book is that I can be at a convention and someone, I might sell one or two issues of the work origin of wolverine and a hundred of these it's just the way this book is so yeah. here we go i mean the one thing i mean you you mentioned uh, about that uh, the the different the way that different audiences will uh, perceive the book and uh, read the messages from the book um looking through um what you've shared in the videos and i'm going to play the video as well the kickstarter video at the beginning um is something that it reminds me of is um Cyspiria's angelic I don't know if you've seen that. Um, it's a, a story of um, 
uh, it's a future world where um, uh, monkeys have evolved to they can talk and they've developed their own uh, religion and uh, there's a, a, a whole societal thing with the animals left on the planet Earth. For a young audience, for a, a, a young kid, they'll just see talking monkeys and uh, a young girl off on an adventure. But then there's a real sense of the, for an older audience, they're seeing the, the whole idea of um, oppression and uh, the, the relationship with um, Earth and animals and ecology. And there's that whole sense of the different layers and different levels for different readers. And I find that's very much a, a big appeal and draw for me for, uh, for Fair Request from, from what I've seen. So yeah, I think it's, a, it's a kind of an existential story because what happens is once they go and they become self-aware and they realize they're getting closer to the end of the yellow brick road, right? And there's, they've gone through horror stories and science fiction and they see these realms and they're like, they're becoming self-aware, but they're also losing their story elements and becoming more human. As they get more real, the wolf is becoming feral. She loves him still. And they're faced with this choice, right? Like, you know, do we escape to freedom and not become a story or do we retain our identity? And you think of how... It's probably always relevant, uh, these kind of stories, but you think it's so relevant right now? Like, what, how do we identify ourselves at the moment? Like, everybody's very fractured. People are frustrated. Um, the world is very strange at the moment, and people are dealing with COVID. And so when we have trials and human, you know, difficult things that are happening to us, um, to me, you know, it's how do we retain our humanity or how do we retain our identity, I should say, because in their case, they're not retaining their humanity. They're losing their sense of being a story and what that what makes them valuable. So there's that whole existential story. And then there's like Red Riding and the Wolf go up against, um, you know, uh, in our world. And we did this other book called Fiction Squad, which I don't know if you're aware of, but Fiction Squad was the original Fablewood story. Um, so in the world of children's stories, the women are always the toughest. And the, so basically the queens and the witches are the mafia and the queen of hearts is Don Corleone and the, the, they, they fight against the witch, the witches and um, like Dorothy and Alice are like the conciliers and they basically, they basically just like they're the lieutenants for the, for the mob. Um, so it's a really cool way of doing all kinds of mashes up, you know, like you can do all kinds of things. And uh, you, these characters, it allows us to just create new ones and it allows us to use existing ones and mash everything up. It's great. That's so cool. Um, obviously, the our current situation that we're all in uh, on a global scale, it's something that has shifted a lot of our perceptions of story and how we perceive and consume the world. Um, how long has this been kind of gestating as a story for Volume 3? And how has it changed since... COVID has happened in how you're perceiving the story, how you've so uh, looking, looking back at the script and looking back at how you've put the, the story together. I haven't written about COVID yet. Yeah. I'm not ready to write about it. I think it was really interesting uh, to kind of go back in my career when, uh, when 9-11 happened, <clears throat> it was a very interesting moment in American history being over here and trying to work out, you know, like what to do. And um, what I thought was very interesting about it was that some people immediately wrote about it. And it took me about a year to get over it to be able to write about it. Maybe maybe six months, you know, I didn't want to write about it. So COVID, I'm not there yet, you know. I want to write about other things and then we'll get to COVID, you know. But how's, how's it changed your perception of what you've already written? No. 
Yeah, because what I've written is, is probably what I was going to write. So yeah. I don't think it's changed my perception yet. Not yet. No, not yet. Okay. How long did, How long has it been um, in the planning stages from, you know, the, the, what's been the timetable of putting this vo volume together? Six years. Wow. So, you know, it, once Umberto realized he couldn't do it, he didn't want to, you know, he wanted to move on. He was going to do some other stuff. I wanted him to come back. Um, but I did, he, you know, he, he moved to a different stage of his career, right? And he's very busy. And so, you know, after a long period of time, I said, okay, great. You know, I mean, at least in the story, there's a natural break. And Mike Bowden is incredible. So um, it's okay that the, there's a break in the story. And one thing that I have to do, uh, which is probably our COVID story, um, my kid's playing a video game, and I've got to turn it down because it's driving me crazy. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I'll tell you what, while you're doing that, um, I will actually play the video. Uh, so we can actually, uh, uh, we'll share that with everybody. Uh, this is the video for uh, the uh, uh, the promo video, which uh, has been put together. It's at the top of the uh, the, the Kickstarter page for Fairy Quest 3. Claudius and I are reading his favourite book. This is Fairy Quest, and we are about to reprint Fairy Quest One and Fairy Quest Two here on Kickstarter, where it all began. And we're also coming out with Fairy Quest Three, a brand new book. So we would love you guys to be part of our campaign. So we have planned a ton of extras and add-ons, lots of amazing swag that will add to every pledge as we're closing on our funding goals. We can't wait to bring you all kinds of exclusives and incentives that we'll announce if we're lucky enough to hit our stretch goals. And we have some special cover artists lined up. Uh, we have Ali Garza, we have Billy Tucci of Sergeant Rock fame, and we have Kevin Eastman, the co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. Fairy Quest 3 is the next chapter in the Fairy Quest saga, which is set in Fablewood, a giant forest where all of the stories live together, but they're divided by genre borders. We originally published the work here in the early days of Kickstarter. And after a long hiatus, I'm really thrilled that we're gonna be bringing our book back here again. I know you're gonna love the new 48 page chapter with a new main cover by Umberto Ramos. And this time we're welcoming the incredible Mike Bowden, as well as our fantabulous friend, Leo Olia, who's gonna be doing all of the colors and all of the design and lettering on the book. Since our first Kickstarter, Fairy Quest has been translated into a number of languages. It's been a cool statue, we've seen live action, we've had a bunch of cosplay people come up as our characters, and we've even developed a live action version of it that we performed at Pinewood Studios in Atlanta. All of this comes down to the fans at Kickstarter. We can't do any of this without your help. Fairy Quest exists because of you, and now we're finally able to bring our beautiful book back into print. I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to finish it here where it all began. So thanks for watching our video and thanks so much for helping us. This is going to be, okay, let me do that one again. Okay, take 10.
You're not helping. <laughs> Take 10. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I think, I mean, we've got a question that's come up from uh, uh, Solicitor Smeg about Kickstarter, and I think we'll, we'll I'll, I'll talk about that, the platform first. Like I say, it has been a, a, a bit of a break since uh, the last time you uh, did Fairy Quest on Kickstarter. Um, what is it about Kickstarter as a platform as um, for creators uh, to actually uh, put works forward? Is it the uh, the ability to uh, keep a, a strong check on what people are looking at and what they're investing in? What what is it? What's the big appeal for Kickstarter for you? Uh, the appeal is also the the difficulty. Isn't that crazy, right? So. <laughs> um, I have been a guy working in the mainstream quite a lot and I've never been a mainstream person, you know. Um, when I came into comics, I did Ninja Turtles and I did Tundra Publishing and Tundra Publishing was a very complicated situation, um, but it was very much revolving around creators, creators' rights, all of the things that would benefit creators. And I was lucky enough to work with Kevin Eastman and, you know, he had done so well and was so lucky to have made so much money and uh, with the Ninja Turtles and give it back to the creative community. So I was always a creator guy first. and a, um, But, you know, I, I broke into comics in a weird way as a writer. I went to San Diego, as you know, I've told you the story before, and I kind of showed up and said, can I write Hellblazer? And they said, okay. And so I went, great, and started writing Hellblazer. And there's no way that anyone could do that, but I did it. And so I was never an insider, and then... I got this phone call from Marvel and they said, well, we don't think you'd be that interested in superheroes, but, you know, do you want to come work with us? So I went, yeah. And it was, you know, they won an Eisner for the Inhumans. And next thing you know, they let me write everything. And we rebuilt Marvel. <laughs> so I was never an insider and I, I was never a massive comic fan. I love the medium, but I wasn't a guy that would like live and die with Daredevil number seven or, you know. And so in that time, at the beginning of Kickstarter, um, Umberto and I wanted to do the book. We had been to a French publisher. They were not very straightforward with us. We had been to an American publisher. We didn't like the vibe from there. And I asked Umberto, would you, would you let me run a campaign? And we did our first Kickstarter campaign. And this is in the early days of Kickstarter. This is right when Kickstarter started. And we raised 96,000. And that was pretty strong, right? But I was just going to say, you got burnt several we times. Got burnt. Yeah. We got burned on the first one and on the second one. And it, and it, and it broke my heart. Um, it made me never want to go back. It, it, it is, and I'm not kidding you here, Leonard, it is the worst thing that's probably happened to me in my life, in my career, certainly. Um, we had some people that were part of, you know, my organization at first and they, um, let's just say they did not use the money the way that was intended. And so I personally had to fill in the shortfall and it cost me a lot of money. And it was heartbreaking because ultimately fans look at me and they say, well, it took a long time for us to get our stuff. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like I literally had to invest to get you all of your stuff and make sure it was done properly. So for the second one, and I think this is worse, uh, the first one was like, I've often described that you, you go near a jungle, you get bitten by a tiger, oh well, right? It happened. Like if you, 
are close to a criminal, unfortunately, it happens. And you go, okay, bad for me. It sucks. It's the end of, that's the end of that. But, you know, my publisher at the time was Boom. And Boom were exclusively publishing me, and they should have, they should have done a lot better. And they wanted to take the fulfillment of the campaign as kind of my business partner and my, and I, I, and this is my mistake. I let them and they did not fulfill properly. They did not deliver some stuff. They didn't answer the fans. They didn't do all the things you're supposed to do with the Kickstarter. And one of the parts of it that I think was really bad for me was that when that happened, they asked me, please don't get in the mix with the fans because you're just going to confuse how we respond to people. And halfway through the campaign, I could see fans losing their minds. And so I went to them and said, what are you doing? And they issued an apology. We're very sorry. We're just a little bit behind all that. And that would have been great if they'd have followed up then, but they did not. And so they put my reputation in jeopardy with the fans. And when this all happened, it that broke my heart because I'm not sure what else I could have done except never have handed it to them, never have handed it to But But I mean, that, that's hindsight, right? You'd already done it. And so I didn't want to come back. And, and yet I can't let this book that seemed cursed to, I can't let my, my ability to publish on Kickstarter be attacked by that. So I said to my people at my company, which is Meta Studios, um, I want you to, to very clearly understand that this is difficult for me to come back, but that when we go back, we're going to face any problem head on and we are going to be the best campaign. And I do most everything personally, and I do not have the time to do it personally, but I do it anyway. I answer every message. Um, if I don't answer a message, it's going to be Sarah, our CEO at my company, um, who, who's taken it under her wing as well, even though she's really busy, and Stogie, our fulfillment guy, who we trust and we love, and he's awesome, right? So the three of us are the people that deal with it, and um, I deal with all the updates, the messages, I respond to people, and any holdover from Fairy Quest 2, uh, there was a group of people that didn't get their like deluxe editions, so mm-hmm. we've addressed that directly, and we've said, if you didn't get it, uh, let us know and we'll make sure that you get it the best of our ability. And you understand, of course, and this is this is the part that needs to be understood. I raised $86,000 for my second ferry quest and I think 60000 for Fiction Squad. And every single penny of that was sent to Boom, right, to do the publishing. And that money should have been used properly, should it not, right? I mean, there's an accounting There's an accounting that has to happen and people should be, and so I can kick myself forever for trusting that, but unfortunately it happened already. And so now I'm taking the financial burden again of someone that, and we're still trying to get, you know, accountings and, you know, and so I, I've, I've stopped, you know, I'm not going to, it's not very professional to actually not speak about that. You know, there's no professionalism in not fulfilling and ruining my, my reputation. So sure. I'm very happy about it. And it, it broke my heart. I could not believe that somebody would do that knowing full well what happened on the first one. I couldn't believe it, but it happened. And so now we are fixing anything that's a holdover for that. I guess I have to fix. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it must be a testament as well, um, not only to the, the, the power of the story, the, 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 the drive that you have to tell the story, but also the fact that the fans 
they did come back for the second um, uh, campaign. They were willing to support you. They they understood and recognised the issues uh, that you had with that first campaign. They did come back, and no, well, it's... Actually, actually, they didn't. They didn't know that I had to pay for it personally. I, I didn't make that their problem. Did, right. Okay. I never once told everybody that that I had to uh, fill in that shortfall. Um, I just took care of it. The problem was it took longer than it should have. So people sure. were like, understandably frustrated. Why did it take so long? And it's like, well, you have no idea. <laughs> you know, yes, it took too long. And I'm, uh, I want to remedy that, which is why I brought in my publisher, my exclusive publisher, to help me with the fulfillment so that it would be done properly from an existing warehouse. You figure that would be the way to solve it. Yeah. What a shame. Man. Um, so at which point you then, uh, you, we've had the, 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 the gap then. Um, the, the, the six years since uh, the, the, that second campaign, at which point you, you, I have to ask then what lessons or what's the biggest lessons that you've learned to create the campaign for uh, Fairy Quest 3? So one thing that's weird is that, you know, Kickstarter has really changed, right? Like crowdfunding has really changed. And so I've, I'm, I'm learning again, uh, like you saw Billy Tucci show up in, in our stream. And so Billy uh, is doing one right now. He just uh, completed one via kind of Kickstarter uh, for She. Um, so that's an amazing thing. And you know, like Billy just kind of like began to find this and a lot of creators have found this and that's amazing, right? Um, Billy and I share a particular thing. We're not really insiders in the in the mainstream, even though we've been in the mainstream quite a bit and all that. Um, we're not really the sort of insider type people. We tend to be more on the outside, right? And so I learned something really valuable from Bill uh, just about like how he mounted the Kickstarter and all of that, right? And then Brian Polito is someone that I've known for 30 years. And, um, you know, he's going great guns i mean we've been mates for a while and and um for a long time and he's going amazing i mean he just does these amazing campaigns he knows how to hype them i told him like dude you're like a carnival salesman i can't believe it hey man you want this and here's a thing and boom here it comes as a graphic and now i'm just like brian you have got this down but he understands elements of the fulfillment so i'm kind of learning from my fellow creators how it's all changed and at the same time, I have got a massive lesson that I would put to anyone. So Lister of Smeg, if you're listening, I can't give you all of the ideas, but I can tell you one thing. It had better be about you as a human being. It better be about you as a person. You better show your vulnerability. You better tell people what you're doing. And my instinct is always to directly deal with the fans. I've done it uh, uh, when I was part of the mainstream, especially. I would be the first person signing. I would sign for as many people as wanted it, and I'd be the last person to leave. And I've always been super friendly with fans and wanted to give them back. And yet I allowed myself to not do that for my second one, and that was a terrible mistake, and I will never do that again. So everything right now is about me and my company, Meta Studios, where I've got people that I know work directly for me, and they, I trust them, and it's us, and it's Insula, and we're going to be doing it. So when you think about me and Billy and Brian Polito and all of our people that are like doing this regularly, Jimmy Palmiotti, people like that. We're stuffing envelopes. We're making it happen. We're licking the envelopes and sending them out and doing the things because you know what? It feels good. Yeah. And that's the way to do it. And don't ever let, and if I were to ever let anyone do say fulfillment, it would be like Brian Polito because I, I trust him and I know what he would do, you know, but, but really, do it yourself until you understand how it's done and then allow other people to come in. You, bet, you better monitor those people and make sure they do it properly. 
Absolutely. Well, we've got that um, question for, I mean, we, you addressed the, the question, how would an aspiring creator learn how to publish through Kickstarter? But you did have this follow-up. As someone who doesn't consider himself an insider, if you had control of the comic book industry, is there anything you would do to bring it back to glory that people too close to the genre may miss? Yeah, um, so. That's a big question, because um, that's talking overhaul of a, um, a long-established business. Well, I've been part of an overhaul of a long-established business. <laughs> you know, they were going out of business. They were this close to Chapter 7. They were going out of business. Um, do you want to know the actual answer, even though I don't know if I'd do it? Go for it. Make me the editor-in-chief of Marvel or DC. Fair enough. It's as simple as that. I, you know, there's about, there's about understanding that characters do not write themselves or draw themselves. They do not. Okay? They are done by creators, and it's the creators that are lifeblood of this thing. Take away, you know, I was very vocal about it with DC a number of years ago. Um, this is about understanding that the central focus of any creative endeavor, intellectual property, is the creators and supporting them and treating them the right way, but holding them to a standard. And so were I to be the... Um, the head of either of those two companies, the, the creative director of those companies, I would immediately begin to get the creators back into the place that we were in at Marvel Knights, because that's what they did with us. They brought me in and they said, we've broken it so badly that um, we're going to the last desperate resort of the creative corporation. We're going to let you do whatever you want. And they never touched me. They never edited me for years. They just let me write anything I wanted to do. And guess what happened? They actually allowed the creators to do what, and they revived their company's fortunes. And now they use my stuff all over in their films, yeah. you know, and it shows up every, every film. So I'd, I'd also add, um, possibly <laughs> expand the, the creator roster as well, because I think they, at the moment, um, both uh, DC and Marvel are pinning their flag on a small or smaller talent pool. Uh, and it's, it's constricting, the stories that are being told, told, for my opinion, and it's and it's been like that for years, right? Like, like they begin to have. I, I often tell this story, Leonard, but I'll tell it again. Um, when I was at Joe Casada's first editorial conference, it was I was standing around with Bill Jemis, and that's where we came up with the idea of Wolverine Origin, right? But Bill said something that I will not forget. Um, he said to the editors, "What's wrong with you people? Like, listen, calm down. We're not giving you pink slips." But from now on, for the moment, um, you make good stuff and we will sell it. Marketing is not going to tell you what to make. You tell us what you want to make and we'll sell it. Imagine that breath of fresh air. Yeah. Right? And that's the way that it should only be. It's only one thing, which is, you know, make good stuff. And we can do, now making good stuff is literally the last resort. Everything else is like, let's market it a certain way. Let's renumber them as number ones. Let's have a tactic and a tactic and a tactic. Stop with the tactics and understand that great content is truly the lifeblood of anything that you sell. And if you start with good product, that's what will work. They finally had to start with good product. And so they let me come in and write this in humans book. And the funniest part about it, and I've spoken about it quite often, I have never heard of the Inhumans because I don't read comics. And so they said, do you want to do them? And I said, oh, okay. And then I, <laughs> I read two five-page stories and then said, got it. 
and we won an Eisner Award. You want to know why? Because they just let us create good stuff. And so I, I would want to get back to that. Um, when I look at things like the forced, diver forced diversity, um, making Iron Man a young black girl, making Hulk an Asian kid and all of that kind of thing, uh, coming out with this kind of, that's not how to do diversity. That diversity isn't something that you just throw in and say it's a marketing campaign for diversity. No, diversity is actually inherent in the stories. And so I've often said that, you know, the book I did called Alters was always intended to be a Marvel and DC book. And they both always loved it, but told me repeatedly, you cannot do new characters. And I would say, that's funny. You're telling the guy that created the century that we can't do new characters. So, you know, yeah. that's another thing I would do is great stories. Yeah. I uh, the the two that you well I mean the the ones that I pick I mean you've chose one there which is um, Bray, um, Ironheart um, I mean I I I love that character I love Riri Williams I also liked the whole idea of the female Thor um, I I love the mighty Thor as a story but um, I, I I agreed that the the mar it was the marketing that let that down because it really did feel like uh, it was just a, a sledgehammer. Um, just kind of across the, the the face of the reader, it was a case of a, li a little bit. It was so heavy-handed in the way that it was marketed. The, the sure. actual the story itself, and I mean the character of uh, Riri Williams. I'm I absolutely uh, I am any any time that a uh, a superhero uh, company or a Marvel or a DC introduce a character which happens to then just knock up the the power levels, and all of a sudden this character just is it's doing something interesting it's doing something it's shaking things up that's for i have no problem with that it was just the, i felt it was just the marketing it it was a case of attracting so much attention on its diversity that um i think um uh really th threw everything for a loop well diversity diversity is a thing that we should aspire to that we should have done anyway that sure. was always inherent and that we tell stories because guess what they're read by the people that that are rep represented in them and so they weren't diverse it was all a bunch of you know like white dudes and spandex and girls with boobs that are bigger than their head right and that's yeah. what it was and it was always going down that road and i railed against that years ago when i when top cow asked me years ago would you come in and write witchblade and i said no thanks not interested i don't get the silver cat so she uh, she activates her powers and then her clothes fall off stop it right <laughs> and they finally let me do it they finally let me do it the way that I wanted to. And, um, you know, I wrote her in t-shirt and jeans and she was really sexy and guess what they made into the TV show. Right. So I, I'm, I'm not talking about diversity. I'm talking about forced diversity. Come on, man. Sure. Like, let's just tell stories. So Riri Williams and all those characters, they could have been brand new characters that they could have brought in instead of refixing it. Anyway, it's, it's the question that you asked me is what would I do? And what I do is try to get the honest, storytelling backed up by really good creators and characters that we love and reinvent it that way. So that's where I would go with it. No. Fair enough. Let's talk, um, um, as we wrap things up, let's return to uh, your campaign and to Fairy Quest 3. I mean, how are you feeling that the campaign is going? I mean, if we bring the, uh, the campaign back up on screen, uh, just to kind of uh, uh, show again where we are with the, the actual campaign with 21 days to go. Um, a third of the way there, uh, two thirds of the way there. Sorry, um, what have you got planned uh, for the the, uh, the twenty one days for the next uh, three weeks? What have you got um, lined up to uh, to get you over that line? So we have one more secret kind of like giant creator 
that's doing a piece for us. And when we get that, we will announce it um, because I think people will go a bit nuts and love it. Um, we just did the deluxe edition. Uh, we, we, we pushed it out yesterday and today. Um, we just did a bunch of new art. So you can see there actually, you'll see Ali Garza's new, new cover. And if you go down a little bit further um, from there, you can see Ali's next cover, which is these two characters called the mouse and the clockmaker. They seem like a story that you would know, but they don't exist. Um, and that's because everybody has forgotten their story. Right. So no one remembers the original. And then going down again, you'll see uh, Mike Bowden's got a little cover rough. This, they all go into Wonderland this time, which is really cool. And um, you'll see what happens to Red and Wolf. Right. So as they start going through Wonderland and getting closer to the outside of children's stories, they start becoming real. And so they're going to develop and they're going to morph a little bit and then they'll morph a little bit more. Um, so in terms of artwork, um, we've got obviously all kinds of new covers, all kinds of new cover designs, different stuff that will show all the way down the, down the road. In terms of stretch goals, that's one thing that I wanted to do a ton, right? I wanted to do a bunch of stuff that we give away. And so we hit like halfway and we said, Hey, we're going to give you all bookmarks. And we're going to do this thing and we're going to, hit our goal and we're going to do this thing and we're going to do, you know, we're going to hit another goal and we're going to do this. So we're just going to keep adding swag into people's stuff because they love it. But the second thing um, that we're going to do is we're going to try to do the production values and make sure that those are really good. I mean, that that's important to me. Um, so the book itself is really hard. Um, in fact, if you can well, we saw We saw in the video, I mean, it's, it's that you, you always try and make sure that they are good quality uh, books that are going out. Yeah, if you bring up the uh, the Kickstarter page, you'll actually see a little bit further down. There is a thing where we run. If you can run the video on it, if you go back to the main page, um, um, if you scroll down, uh, mm -hmm. you will see a video. Uh, keep going, keep going, keep going. I think and I know where you're talking. It's here, isn't it? So this shows everybody. If you want to share that, and you can share it with sound, maybe people can see how we. I, I want to make sure that. Um, I've got sound, so I'm going to play it. Let ah. me know if let me know if I've got sound going out. Well, okay. So let's take a look at the production values that we put onto Fairy Quest. Here's the squared bound or perfect bound side of the book. Um, we like to make something that lasts for a very long time. If you look at the back cover, and we've done it on both covers, you'll see as I've held it up to the light here, um, it says "Do not deviate," but that's actually just using a spot UV varnish. Um, so that's something that we brought to the front cover of all of our books. Let's take a look at the front cover. Um, as I hold it up to the light, you'll see we've got these spot UV coating again, so it's in the eyeballs. But you can also see that Red Riding Hood is actually embossed on the cover, and some of the other characters are as well. Um, this is the kind of book that we make to be very sturdy and beautiful, so that it will last a really long time, and we hope that you will love it as much as we do. Gorgeous. And, that, and that's absolutely the way of it. I want people to have these books for a really long time um, and be able to pass them down. I don't really own very many comics that are like really small, you know, like the little individual books. I don't keep them, but I do keep hardcovers and some softcovers. And so I just want to make that kind of book. And there'll be four of the books in Fairy Quest. There'll be the Fiction Squad book. And we're going to do a bunch of more uh, stories in Fablewood as well. The next one, actually, that I'm working on is... Um, a woman from the realm of romance fiction and she um she is sent to be the ambassador to the world of horror stories and she hates it 
<laughs> it's all about love and romance and they're all about like death and destruction. But she realizes actually that when she gets there, that people are just people wherever you go, it's just cultural difference. So it's kind of the kind of story that reflects what we do in the way that we live, but also things that little kids go, oh, that's funny, she lives in a world of monsters, you know? I think, uh, I mean, it looks amazing. I think also the, the thing that also appeals, and I, I understand that um, you would have liked to have kept um, uh, Ramos involved on the artwork, but the fact that you've got Bowden involved, it shows that evolution, not only of the characters, but also of the story as well. So it's, it's like the whole thing is just taking a natural kind of flow of story. And I think that's, that's very, very, um, yeah, for me, very, very cool. I've done that before then as well. I did Jekyll and Hyde. I did Batman, Jekyll and Hyde. And the very first half of it was sort of Jekyll and the second half was Hyde. And we actually had two artists that were similar. Uh, so Jay Lee did the first three issues. And then when it switched, Sean Phillips did the, sec uh, the last three issues. And so it was such an amazing book because of that switch. And so I think this really fits at this moment. You know? Excellent stuff. Um, it's also cool that uh, you've got um, further plans for the, the story as well. It's, it's evolving further than uh, uh, this particular campaign. You, it's going to go uh, uh, further beyond Volume 3. Um, like I say, it's it's a very cool um, campaign, and uh, I think we want to uh, put the, the the address up so people can uh, follow it. But if you do search for uh, Kickstarter, Fairy Quest 3, over, under, and through, um, I think it, it's just um, it's well worth checking out. Uh, this is to, I'm talking to the audience at this point. Please do uh, uh, go by and um, donate. Um, the one thing I have noticed as well, uh, and you, you see this with some campaigns and some others, um, some campaigns start with very small um, entry points with merch um, and with um, just kind of like almost um, frivolous ways to kind of get the donations in. You're starting at 15, um, I believe it's 15 pounds. Um, let's see. Yeah, 15 dollars, I think so. It'd probably be less than pounds, like 12 quid, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have a, a, a back it, uh, if you believe it, for the $10. No, but £15 to start with. Um, I, how was the, the pr thinking of the price points um, uh, put forward uh, by yourself? How, how, what, where were you getting the, the motivation for your right. price points? The first thing is that I want anybody that wants to be able to read it, especially given, I mean, this is, the, you know, within the environment of COVID right now, like people are struggling financially. And I, I don't. I mean, like anybody else, it's hard to want to be able to ask people to separate themselves from their wallets right now if they can't. So the very first one was, you get all three issues, give us $15, right? You know, like, you know, our work is much more expensive than that, but we want to make it available to everybody. So 15 bucks and we'll get you all three. And, and they're all 48-page content books, right? So those are some pretty big books right there, right? Sure. Um, so there's that and then the main book we did the main thing which is just like simple books right like $30 for each of the fairy quest types we're reprinting one and two um so the first hundred back has got it for 25 and we do these kind of things right we we go to the you know the first hundred oh look there's one available quick I was just about to, I was about to say there's one left <laughs> someone, someone probably migrated into the deluxe edition I would think um so all of those hundred I'm signing you know, um, we want to do those kind of things all the time. Um, and I love to um, I love to do that kind of thing, uh, to, to add in extra signings and things like that. Um, but then when you go through, it's like the regular books are $30. The, you know, special covers um, are a bit more expensive, but they're limited. And it's expensive to change the plates and get the proper covers and, and all of that kind of stuff. So 
Um, but Jill Thompson's, we had at 50. We had all of Ali Garza's covers at 50. Again, we have to pay Ali to do a new cover, and all of that expense goes into what we do. Um, and then we got Kevin Eastman, and Billy's covers are, are more expensive, and we got bundles and all that. But you'll see it's mostly books, right? It's not other stuff. And all the chintz and the bookmarks and fridge magnets are things that we throw in for free because we don't want to mess it up. We just want sure. people to buy the book. You know? Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I'm excited to uh, to see the uh, the campaign go further and onward, and um, I'm looking forward to the story uh, continuing because it's like you say, it's, it is a compelling story. It's something that you can tell. There's some um, it's there's some passion that you've put in, and it's, there's a, a real a drive that you need to tell the story, and I, I'm, that it's that's always compelling uh, for, for readers. I want to tell Fablewood stories for the rest of my life. And it's such a great world, right? Uh, you know, crossing genre board. Someone goes from the world of science fiction and has to live in historical romance. They're going to be annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> so the mashing of genres is really a ton, ton of fun. And uh, I want to do it for a long time. And I think people will love it if I do that. You know? I also like the fact as well that you uh, you are embracing uh, other media as well, because that is where... Um, you, 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 you came in you, you as a, a studying film, so you, obviously you can see this beyond the page, but there's still also the passion for making sure that what you get out as a printed form is of a, extremely high quality. So it, it, you're spinning a lot of plates, sir. Uh, you can't say further than that. Um, we got some, one last uh, question uh, before we do kind of let you go. Uh, this is uh, from uh, Into the Blue Mister. I remember the Havoc Wolverine four-parter from years ago. Uh, had two different artists for each character. Uh, yeah. How mad was that? Yeah, well, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Kent Williams was involved in that Havoc and Wolverine thing, right? Uh, Kent is a great painter. I wonder if George Pratt was as well. I can't, I can't quite remember exactly, but I, yeah. I, I remember, if, if we're talking about the same one, you know, Havoc and Wolverine, um, you know, having two artists on it is challenging, but it's also rewarding considering that if, if Umberto was going to go off and do some other things, um, actually, the story was always morphing at the moment, and it may well be that the story actually found its right moment. You know, it's actually maybe a good thing that. that and Mike Bowden, for anyone that doesn't know him that well, I hope you do. But his stuff is incredible, and watching his designs for the way that they turn real is really cool. So, excellent stuff, um, Paul. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much indeed for coming on and sharing uh, Fairy Quest Three with us. Um, where is the best place for people to get the latest updates? Like you say, it's all about pimping the thing now. It's absolutely getting into people's faces and letting people know. Let, pointing people towards Kickstarter is one thing. Where else are you kind of um, throwing uh, the project out into people's faces? We have a Facebook page called Fablewood Stories. And so people can go right to that. Just look up on Facebook. It's called Fablewood Stories. Go find it. It's fun. We interact directly with people and we have a bunch of fun. So that's all cool, right? Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter at MyPaulJenkins and on Facebook. I'm all over the place. Uh, I've got fan pages and my own personal pages and stuff like that. Um, and then uh, on uh, Instagram as well. You can find Fable on Instagram. What you can also look to is my company, Meta, M-E-T-A, Meta Studios. Um, you can find us on YouTube. And one of the things that's really cool about what we're doing on YouTube we're going to get right back into it now because we just did one last night. Um, the story behind the story. So anyone who's ever read my Hellblazer or my Spider-Man work or anything, I'm going to get back to telling those stories about what was actually behind each of those individual issues. So go find Meta Studios uh, or Meta Studios Atlanta maybe on YouTube and you will find us and we'll keep you updated there as well. I had no idea about that. 
Okay, so I think you've got one new subscriber because I'll definitely get myself onto that one. Well, uh, but that, that's I did six. I did five weeks, maybe six or seven weeks of one-on-one -on -one conversations with myself and Kevin Eastman about everything that we went through with Ninja Turtles and Tundra. So you might be interested in that. I'm down with that. But then we can also talk about that as well because uh, is that where the uh, the podcast that you've been doing with Kevin Eastman's been uh, posted? Yeah, so it's on the YouTube. Yes, it's on. Uh, our YouTube channel, Meta Studios. And right. so and you'll find the behind the stories. Uh, so once people see Hellblazer especially, like when I wrote Hellblazer, all I ever did was write about my family because I grew up in the West Country um, in a caravan. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Paul, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We'll let you get off and enjoy the rest of your day. Um, but all the very best with the uh, the, the final 21 days of uh, campaign. And... Um, Here's to getting it over the line, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks, Excellent everyone. Stuff. Take care. Look after yourself. So there you go. Do go check it out. Um, I, I, it's a, an amazing looking book. The story's compelling. And uh, it's been a pleasure to kind of share it with you. Do go check out Fairy Quest 3 um, over, under, and beyond. Um, it's, it looks and it's an amazing campaign. So do ch go check it out. Thank you very much indeed for joining us for this special incidental episode. Don't forget we are back again on Sunday. And uh, we have been speaking to a lot of comic creators over the last two, three months. And that's been fantastic. But now we've actually got an actor that's going to be joining us on Sunday's show. So hopefully you can join us 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. It has been confirmed that Todd Stashwick is going to be joining us. He's also a comic creator himself. He's uh, put himself his own book together, so we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the uh, Plague Nerdathon, uh, Plague, Plague Nerdologues, uh, which he uh, put together. Oh, he was uh, contributing with uh, Mark Bernardin's uh, project. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, we're going to be getting into um, his experiences at Comic-Cons, including the first time that him and I met at D23 uh, in... Uh, at uh, a very interesting uh, scenario uh, on a Sunday morning where I was appro I approached him, I was wearing board shorts, I was not in my best attire at all, and he still came and talked to me. So, uh, no, uh, it's going to be interesting to uh, talk to him about his uh, interactions with fans uh, at, at the shows. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Do take care, and we'll see you on Sunday for another Talking Con, a cup of tea with the Englishman in San Diego. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>